I'm Nicole Balsamo, and this is Working Title, a literary arts podcast. This week, Working Title features audio recordings submitted by writers from the University of Central Florida community for our winter solstice episode. An unexpected and dangerous guest arrives during a storm and tries to strike a deal with their host. Hi, I'm Meg Guerin, and I'm an undergraduate junior at UCF. This story is called Hailstone. The air smelled of cinnamon and evergreens. A fir tree in the corner glowed with rainbow fairy lights and glittering ornaments. Stockings hung from the mantle in a tidy line. The irradiated, festive excitement from where he sat beside the crackling fireplace. He wore a pink candy cane sweater along with pale green slippers that he had propped up on the coffee table. Theo took a sip of sweet, rich eggnog. The room was comfortable and warm, but outside the wind screamed. Suddenly, a chill filled the air. The flames in the fireplace sputtered down to embers. Facing the dying fire, A small humanoid creature sat cross-legged before the hearth. She had spiked blue hair, snowy skin, and her sharp ears were transparent icicles. A cape of silver fur hung from her shoulders and obscured most of her form. Theo was still. His body was tense. It was like the air was charged with electricity. It's wonderful out there, the creature remarked. She held her palms towards the fireplace as if to warm her hands. A layer of frost spread across the ashen logs. It's a bit too cold for me. Theo glanced nervously out the window. Wind shook the trees violently and whipped snow through the air. The snow creature peeked over her shoulder with a mischievous glint in her winter sky eyes. She wore a sapphire circlet that glittered as it caught the light. I'm Hailstone, and I've come to make a deal. She smiled with cat-like fangs. I'm Theo, he replied with more interest. What kind of deal? Hailstone stood and turned with the flourish of her silver furs. As she moved, there was a light tinkling like glass chimes. The sound came from a sling that wrapped diagonally across her torso, then twisted into a belt. Ornaments of frozen flesh and teeth hung from it in intervals. Among them, Theo spotted a talon covered in fur, a serpentine tongue, and an entirely red sphere that might have been an eye. You like them? Hailstone asked, brushing the ornaments gently. The frozen shapes clinked again as they hit one another. You see, I don't have human in my collection. Theo hastily got to his feet and braced himself for an attack. Don't touch me, he warned. Hailstone grinned more broadly. I'd only take a small piece and you'd receive a spell in return, the creature explained in a reasonable tone. It can be anything you want within my abilities. I'll leave right now if you aren't interested. The a spell? Theo repeated shakily, intrigued. His heart was beating frantically, but a kind of hunger gnawed within him. Theo wanted this intensely and desperately. He had always wanted this. Reading his change in mood, Hellstone eased into a sales pitch. Do you want to be wealthy? Have you ever wanted to fly? Everyone wants something. How long would the spell last? It would be as permanent as losing a limb. Theo shuddered, but he was filled with morbid fascination. I want to be special. 
I want to be magic like you. Well, I'm not a werewolf, Hailstone replied teasingly. I can give you power, but it won't be like mine. The humor fell away abruptly. Hailstone radiated danger and power. What do I get in return? A tooth? Theo suggested. I want something substantial for that kind of magic. Anyone can spare a tooth, Hailstone explained with feigned boredom. I'll take your left hand for it. After all, when you feel this, you won't need it. A finger, Theo replied firmly. Hailstone's eyes snapped at Theo's with ferocious intensity. Is that a yes? Do it, Theo whispered. Hailstone darted forward nimbly. Her teeth pierced Theo's skin like it was as brittle as ice. The air smelled of wet metal red. Theo screamed. He yanked his hand towards his chest and blood oozed onto his shirt. When he looked down at the raw stump, Theo saw a scab had already formed. The wound was throbbing, but frost cooled it. As Theo cradled his hand, Hellstone froze his severed index finger onto her belt with quick efficiency. The next moment, Hellstone disintegrated into snowflakes that swept up the chimney like a gust of wind. Theo could sense the magic now. It was like feeling without touching anything. He had another set of hands that stretched invisibly beyond his reach. But they weren't hands. They weren't flush at all. Theo sank back into his chair. He was shaken, blood-stained, and thoroughly amazed. Theo examined his hurt hand. He stretched it gently. As easily as he could light a match, Theo reached out with invisible fingers. The frost in the fireplace faded away, and a flame flickered across the logs. With a satisfied smile, Theo leaned back in his chair and brought his glass of eggnog to his lips. Meg Guerin is an undergraduate junior at UCF. She's working toward her English degree with a concentration in creative writing. Meg is obsessed with fantasy and horror, and she hopes to have a book or ten published in the future. A winter freeze brings perceptual and existential clarity, but in Florida such things never last long. Hi, I'm Dr. Kevin Meehan, professor of English at UCF, and this is a recording of my song poem, A Sweeter Cup. Also performing are drummer James Campbell, a professor of English at UCF, and lead guitarist Paul B. Miller, an associate professor of French and Caribbean studies at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. You can find more of my song poems at the website sugarcitymusic.com, and thanks for listening.
Dr. Kevin Meehan is a professor of English at the University of Central Florida, where he specializes in Caribbean and multi-ethnic U.S. literatures, environmental humanities, and translation of Francophone Caribbean writing. Along with his scholarly publications, he writes, records, and produces original music and spoken word via his label, Sugar City Music. A 3 a.m. trip down a quiet street during a blizzard yields discoveries old and new. My name is Rebecca Rao. I am a graduate student in creative writing at UCF, and this story is called Elegy to Believing in Ghosts. The screen door creaks behind you as you leave your house. It hits the frame with a loud crack reverberating into the night. 
There's a stillness to it. The sound, the night, the snowy front yard. The weatherman said six inches, but there are eight on the ground, undisturbed by staggered footsteps and the tire tracks of early morning commuters. Your boots are the first to break the snow, and this feels like a sin. God in his house staring you down. It's only three blocks. That's what you told yourself when you got the phone call. Your car is blocked in, and besides that, the transmission has been having problems. In this cold, it barely runs. You were late to work yesterday because your car stopped on the highway. And after that, you promised you'd get it fixed, and you promised you'd take it to a, to a mechanic, and you promised and promised and promised. You shouldn't have. You walk in the street because the snow is thinner there. It crunches underneath your feet, so cold that your toes feel like a distant memory. There are no birds. It's so dark outside that the sky looks blue, like the snow is reflecting the light of street lamps back up into the stratosphere, and that's enough to light up the planet. You've lived here your whole life, but houses look alien to you. Winter affects them more than it does the environment. It's like a fresh coat of paint that no one asked for. Six minutes until 3 a.m. You question why you're taking this trek, but when she called you, she was crying. So there's no question. You have to go. You have to part the snow as if it's not a sin. It's been a week since the traveling Jehovah's Witness came to your door, coat thrown over his shoulders like he was still in the Midwest. And your mom opened the door and said, you're not in Kansas anymore, and he laughed like it was funny, and that was the only reason she invited him inside. You don't know what kind of Jehovah's Witness doesn't wear a cross, but he's one of them. There was no burden of carrying the body with him. His shoulders were high and proud, eyes light with the wisdom of righteousness. Your mom usually has that same look about her, that straight defiance, that wicked assurance of self. When did you lost that? When did you get lost? You don't recognize the houses around you. You can't translate the sound of something rumbling towards you, the smell of sulfur and beets in the air, a perverse mix of sweet and putrid. You don't recognize yourself in the snow. The screen door creaks behind you as you leave your house. The snow that covers your walkway is undisturbed, waiting for its first defiler, and you oblige, but you aren't happy about it. It feels like it was meant for someone else. It begins to snow, hard, and the cold that follows the fall wraps itself around your shoulders, sneaking beneath your jacket to bite at the soft skin of your neck. You remember things. Mostly her face when you told her that you didn't believe in ghosts. She was so angry with you for not believing her, so embarrassed for bearing herself to you, and you had left because you wanted to give her time to calm down. There are faces in the snow, none of them your own. You begin the walk three blocks down to her house and can't see your own tracks following you. The snow remains pure, perfect, untouched by the sin innate in human touch. She had been seeing her father everywhere. The funeral was a week ago and he'd stayed around, she said. She cried and cried and cried and you didn't know what to do about it because you'd never been good with emotions. Your mom never taught them to you, you told her and your dad actively forbid them. She told you to Google the definition of empathy before you left her house. No snow yet on the ground, no tracks yet to be made. Her dad was a nice man. You had met him once when you started dating her. She told you that they were close, but they didn't act like it in front of you. They were silent, like they didn't want to include you. You wondered what that had to say about trust, and you let that stick in your teeth, and you let it build because you don't talk about things like that. Resentment is like a small fire that a teenage boy is squirting fire starter on. You went from asking why they didn't talk a lot in front of you to wondering why her dad hated you. So no, you didn't cry when he died, and you didn't go to the funeral. That was where the ghost showed up first, a face in a sea of funeral goers, 
And she screamed, she told you, and her mother chastised her for disturbing the stillness, and she went home early and never saw the casket put in the ground. Do you believe in ghosts? The words echo in your head. They echo out of your head. They hit the snow and melt it, and soon you're standing in a puddle of water and snow and salt, and there is that noise, that low rumble, that shift of gears, and you turn your head too late. The screen door creaks behind you as you leave your house. Two more inches of snow than the weatherman said. You feel like you've been here before. When your mom talked to the Jehovah's Witness, she asked, what happens if you die and you're not baptized? The words left her half-open mouth in a whisper. Something spit out of the side, a slick comment from your favorite Hollywood movie mobster. He told her that the baptism wasn't the way to save a soul from hell. Instead, it's a declaration of loyalty to Jehovah, like a public declaration of love. Your mom was raised Catholic and doesn't say that she thinks that's horseshit, but you've known your mom your whole life and she thinks that's horseshit. Regardless, she looks at you, eyes narrow from the side like she's sending a subtle message to you, even though the Jehovah's Witness didn't say anything that corroborates her claims about baptism and isn't actively staring her in the face, able to see exactly where she's looking. They don't believe in ghosts, either. You googled that when you got home from her house. You were curious. The Jehovah's Witness had that sureness that you were told you didn't have by your dad. They don't believe that humans come back after death, so no ghosts. You only feel vindicated for a second before hating yourself for trying to disprove her claims with Google searches about a religion you don't even follow. You can barely see yourself for the snow. It's coming down hard now like a blizzard, like a menagerie of ghosts falling from the sky and hitting the ground, bodies soft, cold, yielding. You can't feel your feet. You can't feel your legs. Her house is only three blocks away. When you get halfway there, you feel lost again. The houses meld and twist around you. Faint light from the windows of those getting up for work reaches out to you, but it doesn't touch you. You can't feel the warmth on your face. You can't see it reflected on your skin, only on the snow. You think it's going to happen again. You don't know what, but the cycle. Gears shifting, something is going to start again. But then you hear your name, soft, whispered. You turn from the house where you've been looking and she's standing in front of you. Her face is tracked with tears, mascara running. She pulled a hat and jacket on before she came out here, but she's still severely underdressed for the weather. You can see her footsteps behind her leading to her house. You hear the rumble begin somewhere behind you. She reaches out to you. When you didn't come, I got worried. She looks out into the road and she starts crying harder, louder, and you go over to help, but you can't touch her. You just feel cold where her body should be. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I never should have asked you to come over. Not in this weather. It's just I saw my dad again and... She stops herself, nearly doubling over in effort to stop crying. And then she points. And you look out into the road and you see that the snow has been cleared by a snowplow and you see the beet salt sand mixture they use to make sure more snow won't stick. And you see the red in the snow next to the road, something darker than the snowplow's concoction, tinged with black. And you see the crumpled form of something wearing your jacket and hat. You don't believe in ghosts, she looks up at me. So why did you even come out? This could have, she shakes her head violently, still curled up on top of the eight inches of snow. Of snow. It's my fault. I love you. It's my fault. You don't like it when she cries. You want to tell her this, that when you heard her crying on the phone, you had to go to her, no matter why she was crying, no matter how hard it was snowing outside. You can't find your voice. You can't feel your hands. If this happened because your soul was unprotected, unprepared for what came after, 
You're sure that your mother will feel her beliefs justified in some way, even as she mourns. The Jehovah's Witness will probably never learn of your death unless it hits the news. I'm sorry, she looks up, her eyes puffy and red. You want to tell her that you're sorry, too. The screen door creaks behind you as you leave your house. Rebecca Rowell is a DC-born cat owner that is interested in writing and reading light psychological horror with fantasy elements. Rowell has work published in Boned, a collection of skeletal writings, and The Charles Carter, a working anthology. Thank you for listening to our Winter Solstice special, featuring audio submissions from the University of Central Florida community. A special thanks to Meg Guerin, Dr. Kevin Meehan, and Rebecca Rowell for submitting their work. Join us for our next episode when we sit down with David K. Gibson to discuss Kerouac Karaoke, a new reading series featuring MFA students reading the work of their peers. Working Title, a literary arts podcast, is an independent project produced with the support of the MFA and Creative Writing Program, the English Department, and the College of Arts and Humanities at the University of Central Florida. Be sure to subscribe to the Working Title Podcast, available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Working Title website at www.workingtitlepod.com. There, you'll find transcripts of shows, links to local literary events, and information about the team that brings you the Working Title Podcast.